welcome. It's a Tuesday edition of the Fan Checkdown on the Sportsnet Radio Network and wherever you get your podcast. The Fan Checkdown is presented by ProLine Plus, the only sportsbook where 100% of the profits go back to Ontario. This show, the Fan Checkdown, will be live from Real Sports next Tuesday, January the 30th. So come check us out. We're going to have a lot of fun. I might even eat something. Just a, just a thought. Coming up on the show today, uh, Donovan's not here, in case you were wondering. I can do all this talking uh, and not mention that my co-host is on assignment today, but he will be back tomorrow. Uh, some news coming across the wire right before this show started. Um, yesterday, we found out that um, Brian Callahan, former OC with the Cincinnati Bengals, gets the Titans head coaching job. Here's some other news that we had that just came across. Brian Johnson, no, not the lead singer of ACDC, relax. Offensive coordinator for the Philadelphia Eagles is out as the offensive coordinator. And if I'm Brian Johnson, I'm probably looking at this going, "Mm, isn't Nick Sirianni supposed to be the uh, big offensive genius here? I just took over this role. Nick Sirianni has been an offensive coordinator before. I don't know if Nick Sirianni calls the plays. I mean, our, our next guest that'll join us in a few minutes Brendan Deeg, uh, score NFL editor and host of the Double Doink podcast, will join us. He knows. He knows the ins and outs of the Eagles. So he's the perfect guy to to have on for this. We got plenty to talk to with him. Also, uh, in the second block, Nate Geary, WGR Buffalo Bills pregame halftime and postgame host. We're going to do a little bit of a postmortem here from someone who is very close to the team and knows what's going on with the Buffalo Bills and maybe what's going to happen next. Lots of interesting little hires going on around the league. We'll talk about the Brian Callahan one. Um, We'll talk about the firing of Brian Johnson. Also going to talk about the hiring of Shane Waldron as the Bears offensive coordinator. Now, you may be thinking, well, it's not really that interesting. Shane Waldron was in Seattle with the Seahawks, and he's, you know, considered a, a... A nice, bright, offensive mind. Not quite in the same category as some of the other guys that we've seen around the league that have gotten jobs, had coaching jobs specifically. But some people want to make the connection here to Shane Waldron and his work with the QB Collective. Now, for those that don't know what the QB Collective is, it is an invitation-only program that is run by... Guys like Sean McVay and Kyle Shanahan and Mike McDaniel and Kevin Stefanski. And oh yeah, by the way, Shane Waldron is also involved. Here's where the connection people are trying to make. Caleb Williams was one of those quarterbacks that was part of said program, the QB Collective. To which I say, dig a little bit further into the history book and find out who else was part of the QB Collective. Your Honor, I present to you number one for the Chicago Bears, Justin Fields. I rest my case, Your Honor. There is nothing to be made of this. Maybe not nothing, but to to make that your sole argument for why the Bears brought in Shane Waldron is because, well, Caleb Williams is there. Well, the other guy's there too. Stop trying to be the smartest guy in the room because all you got to do is do a little bit of digging. And you can find out. 
By the way, Jim Harbaugh's house is still not for sale. That I know. Check that out. People are like, how do you get that information? To which I say, do a little digging. Americans are all over the internet. (laughs) You can find almost anything that you're looking for if you just look hard enough. And you don't even need the deep dark web to do it. So the Bears are going to be very interesting because everybody's going to try and connect the dots to Caleb Williams. And I don't think that decision is made. And we'll talk with Brendan Teague about that as well. Um, People just get silly around this time of year when it comes to, oh, this guy could go here. This guy could go there. Let's just cool our jets. Okay. Let's worry about the coaching carousel first before we worry about anything else. Like which player is going to go number one or which team could trade for the number one pick. There's so many things that can happen from now until the Super Bowl. So let's, temper our expectation. Plus there's that thing called free agency before the draft as well, which will also give us an indication of a lot of things. Brian Callahan getting the Tennessee job is interesting to me because a lot of people question bringing in the offensive guy. Who's not the play caller from another organization as the head coach. It's different when they go from being the offensive coordinator in a lateral move where they're not calling plays to an offensive coordinator job where they are calling plays because you are allowed to do that. It is not, it's kind of a lateral move, but it's not really a lateral move because you have, you know, a little bit more on your plate. So it's interesting to me because we're going to get to see what Brian Callahan has learned from Zach Taylor. But also, uh, let's not forget that Brian Callahan's father was a head coach in the NFL and has been lauded as one of the best offensive line gurus the game has ever seen. It'd be very interesting to see if he makes a call. Hey, Dad, are you busy? I need an offensive line coach here in Tennessee. So we'll keep our eye on that. Brendan Deeg from The Score and the Double Doink Podcast joins me now. How are you, buddy? Oh, we got him. Just having an issue here. We're gonna, oh, there he is. There he is. How are you, pal? I'm doing well, man. How you doing? Uh, I would say living the dream, but I'm not because, <laughs> um, well, you know, we kind of discussed this yesterday over text. Uh, I was not okay, but I am feeling better today because next year is another year and woohoo. Um, but we'll, we'll get to that maybe in a little bit. Um, before I get to the Brian Johnson stuff, I wanted to talk to you about Brian Callahan because there's always this hesitation, maybe not from organizations, but more about a fan base. And, you know, we're bringing in the quote unquote offensive guy, but he wasn't the play caller. It's the same mm-hmm. conversation that a lot of people have had about Eric B Well, let's see what he can do as a play caller. Um, because Andy Reed was calling all the plays. Well, he doesn't call all the plays, but he calls the majority of them. So I see the hesitation here because Zach Taylor was a guy calling the plays in Cincinnati. More of a question for me is, does this give us an indication of which direction the Tennessee Titans are going here? And we're going to see a bit of a maybe painful rebuild here for a couple of years. Yeah, I think this is a this is a very interesting hire, in my opinion, especially because Tennessee was one of the teams, I think they were the third or fourth team to move on from their head coach, right? Like they, they kind of went right out the gate. They zoned in on Brian Callahan. He was one of the first ones to interview there. And then the second interview came pretty quickly. All signs were pointing for him going to Tennessee over the last couple of days. We were, we were preparing for it at work. And it, all the, all the um, 
all all stars kind of aligned for him to to go there. And you're right with the the play calling stuff. That's where every fan base goes. That's kind of where like I'm an Eagles guy. So the Eagles Twitter base is going like let's let's hire someone with experience play calling. I don't really think it's too big of a deal depending on who you're hiring, but. Like every, you have to play call at some point, right? Like you're gonna have to call the offensive plays somewhere. And Brian Callahan was under uh, Zach Taylor for the last couple of years. He, he worked with Joe Burrow. He was in Denver and Oakland for a bit. So he has a ton of offensive experience. He's been an offensive coach for ten plus years. I think it's a very interesting fit with Will Levis. I'm really curious to see how this works. Do they think Will Levis and Joe Burrow kind of similar players? Um, did, are they looking at it going, we can replicate what the success they had in Cincinnati here in Tennessee? And the Bengals have done a very good job, in my opinion, of adapting on the fly. If you remember in 2022, like after the 2021 run, when they, when they lost to the Rams in the Super Bowl, teams started playing too high shells and started taking away the deep threat and started to basically say, we're going to let you beat us through the run game or through intermediate throws. And the Bengals in 2022 adapted quickly after the first six, seven games when they're struggling on offense and changed their entire offensive structure to counter the two high shells, the two high safety defense that teams are playing against. So that in my opinion is always a sign of a good coach when a coach is willing to adapt what's in front of them. And I'm really, I'm really intrigued by this hire. Another really kind of interesting tidbit about this hire is Brian Callahan. Now that he's been hired to the Tennessee Titans, every single offensive coordinator in the league has been replaced by a team since 2022 in two years, every single team has had a new offensive coordinator. Now it's uh, the way of the league. If you're good as an offensive coordinator, you're going to get a head coaching job. That's just the way the NFL works nowadays. That's a really interesting stat. Like that's, that's incredible when you think about that, because the turnover ratio in that is wow. That's, that is absolutely wild. You know what's crazy about that bad is the funniest thing is, Pete Carmichael, the the Saints offensive coordinator, was there since 2009, and he was the last guy to leave. They they canned him, right? And then Brian Callahan was the last guy. So it's funny, like the Saints held on to their offensive coordinator for years, and no one had any interest in hiring him, and he was the only one basically in the league that had that. And it's not like Pete Carmichael had a lot of success after after Sean Payton left. That was like the Lifetime Achievement Award. Um, Exactly, yeah. Okay, so your your Eagles, they fire – Brian Johnson, this just happened not that long ago. Uh, he was informed that he won't be back. People calling it a disastrous season. Some people on on Twitter, X, whatever we're calling it today. And I look at it and say, I don't know if I would call it disastrous. And I would also say, like, a lot of this falls on the head coach and Nick Sirianni. And basically what this has done, and, and for those also keeping track at home, this is the second straight year, and for different reasons, why the Eagles will be replacing both coordinators. Now, on Brian Johnson, like some of this falls on Nick Sirianni. What this now has done is put all the pressure on Nick Sirianni going into next year. He's got no one else to fire here. You know, they brought in Matt Patricia. That was a disaster. Uh, Sean Desai, it, it looked good at least a little bit early. And then, you know, you look and say, well, they had not only a lot of injuries, but... They didn't return a lot of starters from a team that went to the Super Bowl the previous year. So I don't know how much I put on either of the coordinators, which to me now means everything is like bullseye is firmly on uh, Nick Sirianni right now going into next year. Yeah, if I was running the Eagles organization, I would have ripped the Band-Aid off and started from scratch after this year. I know people look at the record and go, hey, they went 11-6 and six in the regular season, 11-7 and seven in total. They, it's hard to get back to the Super Bowl. Like he deserves another shot. I get that, and I understand the route that the Eagles took with bringing back Sirianni. 
However, if you watch every single game down the stretch, it was brutal, Matt. Like, they were literally one of the worst teams in the NFL down the stretch. It's not the worst team in the NFL over the last seven games. They were 1-6 to finish the season. The only win they had was against the New York Giants team on Christmas Day where they almost lost. Cyrus Taylor was dropping down the field at the end on Christmas night. And, um, like, they got, their, they got their butts kicked, sorry, by the Arizona Cardinals. They got their butts kicked by the New York Giants at the end. They lost to the Seahawks on Monday night. They got their butts kicked by the 49ers, Cowboys. Like, they were not even competitive down the stretch. And then I think, like, if you're an Eagles fan, I don't know how, and like myself included, I don't know how you have confidence in this team going into next year with Nick Sirianni at the helm. The biggest issue was the offense was boring and it was predictable. Every team knew what was coming, and they were never, like I just talked about Brian Callahan, like the Bengals adapting to what's coming at them. The Eagles never did that all year like they they knew Wink Martindale was going to blitz every single play in that week 18 game and they had no answer for it they knew Todd Bowles was going to blitz them basically every single play in the wild card game and they had no answer to it that's on the head coach Nick Sirianni has said multiple times I run this offense this is my offense well if your head offensive minded head coach can't construct an offense well enough for your $250 million quarterback then that is a problem if you need to hire outside offensive minded guys to help your offensive minded head coach, that is a problem. So it is what it is. I, I understand where Jeff Lear and Harry Rosen are coming from, bringing back Nick Sirianni and kind of moving the, the puzzle pieces around him for next year. But I, I think, like, you nailed it. I think it's just kind of setting up Nick Sirianni to be a lame duck head coach in 2024. And you know how the Philly media works and Philly fans yeah, in general. They're very, they nice. And, they're very nice. <laughs> if they go one and three, Matt, to start the year next year, like the the Sirianni, they're going to be signs outside the Novacare complex to fire Sirianni. Like it, it will get messy. So Nick Sirianni is under a ton of pressure right now. And as an Eagles fan, I am kind of excited to see some new coordinators come in. I think there's some good options out there, but I do think they need to go away from like Sirianni's pals. Like the 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 notion that Frank Wright could be back scares me. I do not want anything to do with him as an offensive coordinator. I think on the offensive side of the ball, they need to hire a young, fresh eyes on this offense. I throw out the idea of Zach Robinson from the LA Rams. I think he's a perfect candidate for them. And then on the defensive side of the ball, I think they need just like like a, an old veteran dude that can just take care of the defense. Sirianni doesn't need to worry about it. Like almost overcorrect the Sean Desai hire and go with like a Ron Rivera, a Leslie Frazier, those type of guys where you don't have to worry about the defense side of the ball for Nick Sirianni. But yeah, like I uh, I thought after the Bucks game, Sirianni was probably going to get fired. I don't know how he comes back from it. They, the Eagles were very quiet for like a week after it happened. So the Rams did their press conferences on Wednesday. The Steelers did their press conference on Thursday. The Eagles aren't doing the press conference now until tomorrow. Like they, they thought about this. They, they got in their meetings and they kind of, everything was on the table and they're in their mind. The best way to fix it is to move forward with Sirianni. I don't buy that. I think the best route was to rip the bandaid off, but we'll see. And uh, like, like you said, I, I think it's just setting up Sirianni for a tough 2024 year. Brendan Deeg, the score NFL editor and host of the Double Doing podcast, joining Matt Marchese here on the fan checkdown. Okay, so of the three teams that had Super Bowl aspirations that by the divisional round, they're out, uh, the Cowboys, the Eagles, the Bills, what situation would you rather be in right now? Whew. I think Buffalo. <laughs> that was my, that was think... my thought, too. <laughs> I think Buffalo, because you have Josh Allen. Like I think Josh Allen's the best quarterback out of those three guys. And I think as long as Josh Allen's there, you're, you're going to be a competitor. But I'm sure you've looked at their salary cap books for next year. I'm sure, sure you've looked have. at some of the contracts they've got. It's not going to be easy to kind of get back to where Buffalo is. But again, as long as you have Josh Allen, I think they're going to be okay. 
Um, and then Dallas, like, they're not making any changes, right? Like, they're running it back completely. They're almost like, I, I said, like, lame duck coach for Sirianni. I think it's times 10 in, in Dallas. Like, Mike McCarthy is on the, the shortest of leashes right now. And I, I actually thought he was going to get fired, too. I'm surprised that both Sirianni and Mike McCarthy are back. But I think Buffalo is the answer. Like, as long as you got Josh Allen, I think you're going to be a Super Bowl competitor, and they've got they've got some uh, they've got some talent around it. Like Khalil Shakir's turned into a real weapon. Don Kincaid's turned into a weapon. They've got some offensive line pieces. So I know it's probably you're thinking it's pan- like it's panic land and everything's the sky's falling in Buffalo. I wouldn't go exactly there. But um, I, I do think that Buffalo is probably in the best position to win going forward. The saving grace for all these teams that have cap troubles is the cap is a figment of our imagination. It doesn't actually <laughs> exist. You can kick money down the down the line, yeah. and it's fine. And oh, we're we're forty three million over the cap. Oh wow, we have sixty million dollars in cap space now. How did that happen? Um, the cap is weird. I don't understand it, but. I mean, the Saints are like eighty million dollars yep. over the cap the, next year. The Mickey Loomis, the Mickey Loomis route, just go eighty billion over the cap, keep pushing money to see cheers. Now there is an issue with that. Like if you're the Saints right now, there I think they're seventy eight million or something over the cap. They're always over the cap like that. But eventually, like it will run up to you or catch up to you because they're going to have to push money in Derek Carr's contract going to the future, right? Like if you're a Saints fan, you don't want to be keep paying Derek Carr. So there is kind of a push and pull with the salary cap. But you're right, and. and it almost is fake at some points, but eventually we'll catch up. Yeah, it's going to be very interesting to see how these teams maneuver that. Okay, I wanted to talk to you about another hire because people on on the Bird app, the X app, whatever, they get so they get this theory in their brain and they have to run with it because this is the only thing that makes sense as to why person was hired. So Shane Waldron gets hired as the offensive coordinator for the Bears. And he works with the QB Collective. And I explained what the QB Collective is before. It's a program. It's an invitational program for QBs that's run by, you know, Sean McVay and Kyle Shannon, Mike McDaniel, uh, Kevin Stefanski. And, oh, by the way, Shane Waldron is also involved in that. And everybody's like, oh, Caleb Williams is part of the QB Collective. That means that the Bears are drafting Caleb Williams. But if you do just a little bit of digging, which I know you do because you're a very smart man, you would find that Justin Fields was also part of the QB collective. Why do people go insane? And why do people think that the Bears are going to tip their hand with a hire as to what they're going to do with either the first overall pick or Justin Fields? Because last time I checked, as soon as you make a decision, you have now devalued the other asset. Matt, I, we, we talked about this on my podcast yesterday. Bears fans need to stop trying to read in between the lines and just accept the fact that Justin Fields will not be back in a Chicago Bears uniform. It's not going to happen. They're going to trade him. They're going to take Caleb Williams or Drake May, whoever they like the most. Sounds like it's going to be Caleb Williams, and they're going to trade Justin Fields. You cannot run it back for a fourth year with Justin Fields, third offensive coordinator, when you have the number one overall pick. I bet you right now, if you were to ask Chicago Bears brass, if you were to ask Ryan Poles, Matt Eberflus and said, would you have rather made that trade last year or take CJ Stroud? They would have been like, we would have rather take CJ Stroud. We would have been set. And this is like, you can't make the same mistake twice. If you trade, if you trade the number one overall pick and Caleb Lewis turns out to be a star and Justin Fields just ends up being kind of like an average quarterback, that's a failed move. It's very rare for a fourth year quarterback to just blossom into a top five quarterback. I think Justin Fields has a chance of being like a top 10, top 12, top 13 quarterback, but I don't think you're ever going to get top five potential out of him. And Caleb Williams, you 100% have the chance of having a top five quarterback. He was awesome in the Tyson year. Last year, I thought USC's offense was very 
kind of sporadic. They didn't have a good offensive line. It was basically Caleb Williams, go make a play. And he had 30 touchdowns and five interceptions and a ton of yards. And he had to, he was the best player on that USC team. And Drake May in North Carolina, another case there, like he's an awesome player. He's big, he's fast, he's mobile, he's got a can of an arm. Like you want, you have to take one of those guys. And I think, just back to your point, like Bear said, you just got to stop reading between the lines here. I, they hired Shane Walter because I think he's a good offensive coordinator. I really like the hire for the Bears. Since he was hired in Seattle from 2021 to 2023, Seattle's offense ranked 10th in EP per play. They were top 10 offense with not very good quarterback play. Like he resurrected Geno's career, and Geno ranked 11th in success rate since he became a starter in Seattle. So I think Shane Waldron deserves a ton of credit for what happened in Seattle. Now, I know a lot of Seahawks fans are kind of poo-pooed the hire. Like if you're a Bears fan, you're looking at Seattle Twitter and going, they don't like it. Should I be worried? Well, every single team, when they're not doing well, doesn't like their offensive coordinator. That's how it is. Fan bases target the offensive coordinator, the defensive coordinator, when they're not winning consistently. So I think Chicago fans need to just kind of accept the fact that the field uh, is going to be gone, and it's a new era. And I think Bears fans should be excited about Caleb Williams coming to town. Like, this is a, a top prospect, and they, they should be kind of excited about the future, especially with all the fun defensive pieces that they have around him. Here's my only thing with that, and I've I've made it clear on this show. I think that they should keep Justin Fields because the package that you'll get for that first overall pick is even more than what you got last year. And if it doesn't work this year with Justin Fields, you're going to get a quarterback next year. And you'll have pieces that you can deal to move up if you you know if you finish seven or eight and nine again or or seven and ten or whatever. You'll have the pieces to move up. I think it's worth seeing for one more year. Plus, you also put a lot on Matt Eberflus's plate having to go in with a rookie quarterback in what could end up being a lame duck year for him, too. Yeah, I just like you say you can get another quarterback, but it's not always that easy, right? Like it's not the, the Bears got really lucky that the Panthers were so bad this year. They're not lucky, but like, it's not every year. Like you trade the number one pick and you're going, okay, well, if we're bad, we'll be, well, we can get a quarterback next year. Like if you get the sixth, seventh overall pick, that's not a very good spot to get a quarterback, especially like, look at this year. Like if you don't have the one or two pick, you're kind of in this gray area where you need to really trust your scouting to figure out who the third best quarterback is. Right. Like, I just think like giving a quarterback a fourth year after kind of the first three years have gone the way it has, I just think it's risky and you're, you're banking on just kind of like you fall, you fall in love with this kid. You're, I just feel like you need to have kind of clear vision here where you just go like, we should, this is a perfect time to reset and get a quarterback and a rookie deal. Because let's say field does play well, you have to pay him a ton of money. You might have to pay him money now. Right. So I just, I, I really think kind of resetting the offense is the best way to go. And I really like Caleb Williams and Drake May, too. I think that's another aspect of this. Like, I think they're two really, really, really good quarterback prospects and better quarterback prospects than Justin Fields was. And like, I would be shocked if Justin Fields turns out to be a better quarterback than Caleb Williams or Drake May. So that's just kind of how I look at it. I get the, 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 we can get a haul for Justin Fields or we can get a haul for the number one overall pick, but you still have to make those draft picks, right? You still have to find the guys. Look at the, what happened with the Cleveland Browns when they traded for uh, the number two overall pick to the Eagles for Carson Wentz. They got nothing out of that deal. Look what happened when the Rams traded all those, uh, traded the number one overall or traded up to get Jared Goff uh, to Washington, I believe. Washington got no one really in that trade. So I think like draft picks and all are fine and dandy, but you still have to make that pick. And I think if you're the Bears, you have the pick ready for you. You don't have to think about it very much. You have to think which quarterback am I taking? So I, I really do believe that uh, trading Justin Fields and moving with Kale Williams is the right way to go. Here's a question for you. And I, I, I wasn't planning on asking this because I was just thinking when you're talking about Justin Fields as a prospect and whatever. Now we're at a point where we've seen a bunch from Justin Fields, albeit he's been hurt a bunch as well. 
when we look back on both of the careers of, in my opinion, it, it was, I thought Justin Fields was the better prospect than Trevor Lawrence. I thought a lot, a lot of people thought I was crazy, but I look mm-hmm. at it now and I say, by the end of their careers, I don't think that Trevor Lawrence is going to be miles better than Justin Fields. Like I, I wonder about that conversation, even in three years time, like who is the better quarterback? Because Trevor Lawrence is about to get paid. I don't think that he deserves it. I think they need to wait a year, give him his fifth year option and then work him through the process and then figure out if you want to extend him. I haven't seen enough from either guy to give them an extension. Yeah. It's funny that quarterback class. I don't know if you remember, like there was four guys, right? It was, Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, uh, Trey Lance, and Justin Fields. Like, everyone was like, these are kind of, like, really good prospects. All of them should go in the top four. The NFL thought three of them were, right? Like, the three won the top three picks. And then Fields slid a little bit. I think what Fields' thing is he just wasn't able to kind of navigate the pocket well, kind of read defenses. He's a great athlete, like an elite athlete. We saw it. We saw it over the last three years. His running ability um, and I think this year you're starting to see him kind of be able to be kind of that, that pocket guy, that pocket passer, and be able to push the ball down the field. And with Trevor Lawrence, like, I just – I think the offense around him was just kind of a mess this year. The offensive line was brutal. Like, they need three new offensive line starters this year. Um, they have not been able to kind of nail down that position. I thought the receiver position as well, like, they could not get open receivers. And I think Doug Peterson and Press Taylor deserve kind of a ton of blame what's going on there. I still think Trevor Lawrence has top five ability, but you're right. Like, it is – like, if you're – right now, he's going to want – if I'm Trevor Lawrence's agent, I want a contract now. Like, I'm knocking on – I'm knocking on Trent Balky's door going, hey, it's time to pay up, baby. Like, I just saw Jalen Hurts sign a massive contract. I just saw uh, Justin Herbert sign a massive contract, Joe Burrow. Give me some of that. And I think that's probably what's going to happen. Like, I think Jacksonville's kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place where they have to pay him. But in, a, in like, in a perfect world, you're not going into this year having to pay him. So I think Jacksonville's kind of in a tough spot. But you, you, you could be right. Like, it's not crazy to think that Fields could be the better quarterback. But it all does depend on where Fields goes right now. I think there's a ton of interesting options. Matt, picture Justin Fields in a Steelers jersey. What do you think about that? I think it's a perfect fit. I mean, they... They can't, they can do worse. Like, look at the quarterback that they rolled out in the playoffs. Look at Kenny Pickett. Look at, I mean, it also depends, like you said, on the coordinator and where he goes. Like, I I would be curious to see Justin Fields, and I know it's a tougher trade to make because it's in the division, but with, you know, uh, Kevin O'Connell in Minnesota. Yeah, I'd I'd love to see what that looks like. Like, With a creative offensive mind, I would love to see what that looks like. I just don't know that we're going to get it. That's, that's just the crux of it. Like, I, I don't know where Justin, somebody's going to be looking for a quarterback. Yeah. Like, there's going to be a be the change the quarterback this year, right? Yeah, like, there's going to be teams open. Like, Denver's going to be one. Yeah. Pittsburgh, Atlanta, Minnesota, to name a few. And I'm really curious to see what he goes for. If he, when, I think it's like a matter of when he gets traded, neither if at this point, but like, I, I wouldn't give anything more than a second round pick for him, maybe a second and a fifth. But I'm, I'm curious to see if a team like edges for a first-round pick or something like that. I think you're going to see kind of a similar trade to the Sam Darnold trade about two years ago when the Jets traded him for like a second, a fourth, and a sixth. Yeah. I think that was the package. I think that's what you'll probably see for Justin Fields. Yeah, I have a feeling it's probably – I think I said a second and a fifth as well. I think that's yeah. what I, I had kind of projected. as. Okay, uh, a quick look at this weekend. It's just a, a simple question. When you look at the four teams that are remaining, who has the most pressure on them? I think the 49ers do after that game. Right? Like, after Kyle Shanahan almost blew that game and Brock Purdy wasn't playing well, I thought the Packers were the better team. 
all game. Like, I, I thought the Packers let that get away. I think the Packers and Texans were in similar spots where, like, we're playing with house money. I think the Texans were overmatched. I thought the Packers were not overmatched. I thought they should have won that game. And, like, let's say the 49ers do lose to the Lions, right, at home. You're going to start seeing the Kyle Shanahan um, Kyle Shanahan talk about how he can't get it done in big games. And he hasn't been able to get it done in big games, right? Like, off of the coordinator of Atlanta when they choked away the 28-3 lead. He was the offense, He was the head coach when Jimmy Garoppolo and the 49ers couldn't get it done against the Kansas City Chiefs. He has this kind of stigma around him where he can't get it done in big games. He's not very good at controlling the clock. That, that, that clock control at the end of the first half was inexcusable. Like, you have three timeouts with a minute 30 left around midfield, and you can't go for a touchdown. Like, that, that just can't happen, especially now, like, the farther you go into the, into the playoffs, into the, into, the, into the championship game, in the Super Bowl. Like, you have to be on the ball with, with clock management. And I, I think the 49ers have a ton of pressure. They are, were the best team, arguably, all year. I know they lost the Baltimore Ravens, but they looked like the best team for majority of the season. So I think it's got to be San Francisco. And I, to be honest, I, I don't love the matchup for them. I, I do think the, the Lions have a great shot at winning this game, especially we saw last week. And I, I think Brock Purdy is probably the worst quarterback Remaining, not probably. I think he is the worst quarterback remaining in in these four out of these four teams. So I think it's got to be Shanahan. Um, to answer your question, that has the most pressure going forward. I don't. I don't disagree with that. Uh, listen, pal. Thanks as always for taking a, a bunch of time for me today. Always appreciate it. Um, I would say enjoy the games this weekend, and I know you will. But it's not the same when your team's not playing. I get that. So enjoy it as best as you can. Okay. Matt, you're the man. Appreciate you. Have a good one. There he goes. Brendan Deeg, the score NFL editor and host of the Double Doink podcast. Uh, before we take a break, I wanted to talk about this. Um, Buffalo Bills fans have a they, – they can be annoying sometimes and they throw snowballs at the other team's bus and at the other team's players and they can do bad things. I mean, all NFL fans can – they have the capabilities of doing bad things. I want to give a shout-out to Bills Mafia for this. There are certain times where – they step up and they do things that, you know, have now become kind of part of the story with Bill's mafia and Tyler Bass help. Tyler Bass is a big cat lover from everything that I've been reading. And he supports a, 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 a an adoption center for cats called the 10 lives club. And people started making $22 donations on behalf of Tyler Bass after the miss kick. And they have gotten a ton of donations for uh 10 lives club and to help cats, you know, find new homes. And I know a lot of people, maybe you're not a cat person, whatever, but the story remains the same for all the crap that bills mafia gets for the things that they do for jumping through tables, like crazy people for all of those things. The one thing that I can say is that even with all that, I am proud to be a part of this bills mafia because of things like this. Um, it's a wonderful story. Um, we forget at the end of the day, I was very critical of Tyler Bass. The guy's a human being at the end of all of it. And uh, good on Bill's Mafia for doing this because that makes that gives me, uh, puts a big smile on my face as someone who has a cat, who has a dog. These types of stories are, um, it's important that they are told. So good on Bill's Mafia for that. In let's face it, what was a tough situation for the fan base? Because, well, that's not how they expected the season to end. Um, speaking of those Buffalo Bills, uh, coming up after the break, Nate Geary, WGR Buffalo Bills pregame, halftime, and postgame host will join me as we kind of pick this carcass apart here and trying to figure out what's next for the Buffalo Bills. Matt Marchese, solo here on the Fan Checkdown. You're listening on the Sportsnet Radio Network. 
Breaking down the top stories in the NHL every day. The Jeff Mary Show. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back. It's Fan Checkdown on the Sportsnet Radio Network and wherever you get your podcast. Matt Marchese here with you. Donovan Bennett is on assignment. He will be back tomorrow and we will be joined by Adam Rank tomorrow for a weekly NFL insider hit with our pal from the NFL Network and the sick podcast with Adam Rank. Uh, don't forget, as I almost knock over my water bottle because I'm so excited, do not forget that next Tuesday, for those in the greater Toronto area, this show will be live from Real Sports in Toronto, and we'll be doing our show from there. It'll be a lot of fun. Come visit us. Come say hi. It'll be great. Just waiting to connect with our pal Nate Geary from WGR Buffalo Bills pregame halftime and postgame host. Um, before we get into conversation with Nate about the bills and, and kind of what's next. Um, there's a lot going on around the NFL specifically in the, the coaching circle. So Aaron Glenn uh, gets a second interview defensive coordinator with the Detroit lions. He gets a second interview with the Atlanta Falcons, his counterpart on the offensive side of the ball um, ben Johnson, he also gets a second interview with the Atlanta Falcons. So I know we're making the connections to Bill Belichick in Atlanta, but they are doing their due diligence with a lot of guys. Bobby, Bobby Sloak is the other one that's getting an interview. Um, Nate Geary's on the line. WGR Buffalo Bills pregame, halftime and postgame host. How are you, pal? I'm well, man. You know, just watching it snow continually. Just won't stop here in Buffalo. I know. Well, I was going to say it's doing that here, but we didn't get the same amount of snow in Toronto that you did. So, I mean, I, I wish you luck. Here, here's my question. How is the fan base right now? Because that was huh. as tough of a loss as, I mean, while well, the last time that they lost to the Chiefs in that Josh Allen epic against Patrick Mahomes, that was probably, you know, equally as... Uh, heartbreaking, and maybe this one was a little bit worse because it really felt like this was the chance they had to beat Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. Yeah, it was the historical context that um, I think added to the burn a little bit. I, you know, listen, I think we were spared, frankly. Um, you know, Tyler Bass missing that field goal probably spared us for having a slightly more gut wrenching loss because. I don't know, not a lot of people here in Buffalo think with a tie game with two timeouts and a minute left that Patrick Mahomes wasn't going to, uh, you know, matriculate the ball down the field, kick a game-winning field goal as time expired, which probably would have, you know, felt a little worse than uh, than missing the field goal where there's a minute whatever left in it. You know, you, you knew it was over at that point, right? But, um, yeah, you know, I mean, I walked into the office yesterday morning, felt sort of like uh, you were walking into a funeral. <laughs> like that's just kind of how it was. Uh, you know, we've got uh, my, my the top company I work for full time. We have, you know, people from from out of state that work with us. And, you know, they were like, oh, you know, it was a tough game yesterday, but it was kind of fun. And, you know, you don't, you don't really it's hard to explain to people outside of Buffalo, um, especially like in the current era after a season ending loss in the playoffs. Um, you know, how demoralizing it can be and the attitudes of everyone around town after that. But um, yeah, it's been a, it's been a, a sad uh, reflective 48 hours or so um, since the loss. And, and I still think people are 
still probably trying to figure out what went wrong, who's to blame. Um, it, it, this time around, it's not as easy as when you looked at 13 seconds where it was like, okay, the, the defense failed them and the coaches failed them because they didn't, you know, call the right play on 13 seconds. This one feels like there's, there's uh, I think unfairly, and I knew this going into the game, we talked about this in pregame, how regardless of whose fault this game would be if the Bills lost, is it would go to Josh Allen. And the conversations would all be about Josh Allen not being able um, to win the big game. And fair or unfair, um, that's where the conversations are. I don't, I don't really think it's where they are within Buffalo, but I know it's where it is in the national media right now. It's true. And I mean, I, I've been getting a lot of stick from a lot of my pals who are not Buffalo Bills fans and talking about, well, can Josh Allen win the big game? And when you look at who Josh Allen has beaten in the playoffs, we talked about this yesterday on the show, uh, Philip Rivers uh, the, on the farewell tour, Lamar Jackson, who played three quarters in that game, Mac Jones, Skylar Thompson, and Mason Rudolph. It's not like they've beaten world beaters. And when you look who they've lost to, you know, Deshaun Watson, Joe Burrow, Patrick Mahomes three times. Here's my argument with all of that is that you can make the case that in every playoff that Josh Allen has played in, that this Buffalo Bills team has had a significant flaw that maybe they shouldn't win. You know, when we look at year one, he had nobody to throw to. And, you know, they he carried them against the Texans. You could talk about the lack of, of defense against the Chiefs on multiple occasions, or they can't run the football. In this case, they did not have a deep threat that could stretch this defense out that was an actual deep threat and not Trent Sherfield. And also... Uh, their defense didn't really make a stop until the fourth quarter. They gave him a chance to win at the end, but they didn't make a stop. They, they have not, Patrick Mahomes has not thrown an interception in the three playoff games against them. And I can make the case that Josh Allen is by far and away not the problem. He's not away from blame, but he's a, he is not the problem. He is the solution. He's certainly not the problem. Um, you know, this is sort of the... I think the philosophy um, is flawed a little bit, Matt. I think the philosophy of how Sean McDermott coaches these games is a little flawed because, you know, I think going into this game, the Bills defense had played pretty well, albeit they've just sustained a lot of injuries. I mean, you know, being down to AJ Klein, um, you know, who was planning on going to Cancun with his family two weeks ago, getting announced as a starter, um, I think was, you know, kind of a, a fearful moment for a lot of us. Like, you know, can they get by this team um, with AJ Klein and, and, um, and Tyrell Dotson, who both both those guys went down with injuries and missed a little bit of that game as well. So the Bills are just down to it um, uh, at, at the linebacker position. But they were fully healthy on the defensive line, and Ed Oliver did not generate a pressure. Um, he had a career season. Um, but once again, this defensive line um, in the biggest moment did not step up to the occasion. Um, this is a defense that uh, I thought played really well considering all the injuries and sustained all year. Uh, but in the biggest stage against this offense, who was averaging seven points less per game this year, the Chiefs, than they were last year, struggling for the most part, um, you know, hadn't scored 30 points since week two against the, the Chicago Bears. Um, so there was a lot of thought that, OK, well, they can overcome this because this offense has not been as potent as we have come to sort of expect from a, a Patrick Mahomes, Andy Reid offense, but um, they didn't, they kind of no showed. And uh, that's what happened last year against the Bengals, except the whole team no showed last year. Um, I thought the offense really played a solid first half. They controlled the ball. Um, they kept Patrick Mahomes on the sidelines, completed passes where they need to, and they scored touchdowns. Um, they scored seven points in the second half. So there is a lot of blame for me to go around and, and the, the, the play, the coaching not to lose, um, you know, all year you, the, the idea that you had this new aggressive defensive coordinator in Sean McDermott and was going to be more aggressive. It was going to come up with a game plan better than Leslie Frazier did last year. Um, 
all for that to basically go out the window and for the game plan to be, we're not going to really play defense. We are going to have our offense try to take the ball and keep the ball away from number 15. And my biggest issue with that, Matt, is when you have a Patrick Mahomes, you have a Josh Allen, you have a Joe Burrow, you have a, you know, Lamar Jackson and Justin Herbert, um, your game plan should never be focused around keeping the quarterback on the other sideline. Um, off the field. Uh, you know, that, that is just not what Andy Reid would do. Like if you have Patrick Mahomes, um, would you want to run an offense that uh, is slow and methodical and tries to keep the other quarterback off? You'd say, no, I have Patrick Mahomes. I don't care what you have. Um, and, and I don't think that the bills really have a great plan right now for Josh Allen. He's his 300 yard games since 2020 had nine, 300 yard games in 2020, eight in 2021, seven in 2022 and six this past year. That's a theme to me since they've lost Brian Dable. Um, the effectiveness of this passing offense has gone down. They've devolved as a passing offense. And I, I love the idea that they finally developed a run game, but it can't be, um, uh, you know, sort of at the behest of, of your pass game. You have to be able to do both. Um, and the Bills really weren't able to do both, especially in the second half of the season when Joe Brady took over. Uh, yeah, definitely. And I, I think that, you know, not having a guy who, like, Stephon Diggs is not the same receiver. And I wonder about an injury with Stephon Diggs because the second half of the year was very un-Stephon Diggs-like. Um, even the usage of Dalton Kincaid and, you know, using him on a lot of these screens and just out in the flat. Like I, I just, to me, it was, it was mind boggling because the success that he had in college was a lot of it was down the field and being a guy that was a mismatch, much like, you know, Travis Kelsey is a mismatch for a lot of defenders that he plays against. Um, I did want to focus on the Sean McDermott thing and I know he's speaking right now, um, but has the time just come where, you know, we've learned enough that Sean McDermott cannot get this team over the hump. And I know that I would, I mean, it would be the biggest heel turn in the history of the NFL if they could bring in a guy like this. But I was, I, on the drive home from watching the game uh, at my, my parents with my dad and my brother, I thought about the idea of bringing in Bill Belichick and moving on from Sean McDermott, pay him whatever the heck he wants, lay your Super Bowl rings on the table and say, you guys want to win this, this is what you got to do. Yeah, you know, I, I don't even, frankly, think it's a conversation worth having. I just don't think it's a move the Bills are going to make. Um, I agree with that. I do agree that that's the case. It, I just wonder about McDermott and the lifespan that he's had with this team. I, listen, it's fair. I think it's six and six. Um there were a lot of calls for his job and he turned it around and got this team to a, a number, uh, you know, winning the division and a number two seed. Um, and I, I could tell you, I did not envision that happening at six and six. Um, but continually um, in these biggest games in the playoffs, um, they have bumped their head three straight games or three straight seasons in the division round. They can't get past the division round. Can't get past Patrick Mahomes or Owen three against Mahomes and Owen one against Burrow. Um, Listen, I, I, I'm all for having the conversation. I think it's a, a worthy one. I, I would probably lean on the line, on the on the side of they've gotten everything they're going to get uh, from this coaching staff, and it might be time to to get a new voice, to get a new uh, coach in here while Josh Allen's still in his prime. But um, I don't think Ownership's going to do that. Um, I don't think he has the support that he had uh, in the first go round when they hired Sean McDermott, meaning. Um, people at the top of the organization, uh, presidents, um, you know, p trusted advisors um, that can go out and do a national search and feel like they're going to feel comfortable doing that. I think they just extended Sean McDermott this last offseason. Um, whether or not you're a, a hater, whether or not you're a supporter of Sean McDermott's, um, I think the conversation is is borderline meaningless because I just I don't see that I don't see the change happening at all. 
Yeah, I, I, I tend to agree with that. I, I floated that to somebody, and they're like, there's no way that that's happening. I said, you're probably right, but I feel like that's also, you know, bad business if you're not at least exploring yeah. options that could make you better. Um, But that's a, a conversation for another day. Nate Geary, WGR, Buffalo Bills pregame, halftime, and postgame host joining Matt Marchese here on the Fan Checkdown. So now we look at the cap crunch, and, and I know that – you know, I always say this and I say it in jest, but it's kind of half true. The salary cap doesn't really exist. It's just a figment of our imagination because everybody can get, a, get out of salary cap trouble. And I don't think that the bills are not going to be able to get out of it. The roster is going to look a little bit different. There's going to be an added emphasis on adding starters in the draft that can be impactful immediately. So when you look at the off season and all the guys that potentially could walk in free agency and you look at the biggest needs, what for you are, let's say, the top three biggest needs for this Bills team right now? Wide receiver, number one, first and foremost. Um, finding a true number two receiver to go across from Stephon Diggs and maybe his like heir apparent, right? Um, I really like what they have in Kalusha Kears, their number three option moving forward. He really stepped up in the second half of the season. Um, their offensive line is solidified. Everyone's under contract next year. Mitch Morse is expected to come back, so I don't see real needs there. Tight end solidified. I think your running back room is really good right now. I like Ty Johnson um, a lot as your secondary option um, to James Cook, and obviously you're good at quarterback. So I think wide receiver on the offensive side of the ball is is maybe first and primary um, the most important thing they're be able to add this offseason. Then I look on the defensive side of the ball, they're going to lose, lose Leonard Floyd, um, who was you know their their most productive edge pass rusher this year. Um, I don't know what you're going to do with Von Miller. I mean, he's going to be 33 years old, and he's coming off a season where he had five tackles and zero sacks. Um, he's going to be making you know over $25 million this year. So um, what they've got to hope, uh, which is a kind of a crummy situation, is that the league – uh, suspends him from his previous arrest earlier this year. If the league suspends him for any amount of time for uh, for conduct, um, the Bills have a uh, have a, an out on his contract and can void all of his guarantees um, and generate a whole bunch of cap space. That's their best case scenario and their easiest way um, to generating some cap space and getting out from the forty three forty four million dollar uh, overage they're at right now. But um, they're going to be able to extend a couple of guys, uh, Taron Johnson and um, and Deion Dawkins, that will free up some cap space as well. Rasul Douglas. A um, couple of extensions that, that should free up some cap space, upwards of $15 million right there off the books. Uh, but, yeah, they're going to get creative um, and figure out ways to, to help the roster. I think they're going to have to find continue finding depth at linebacker. They've drafted linebackers in the last couple of seasons with Dorian Williams and um, obviously Terrell Bernard, who turned into a bona fide superstar for this defense. They're going to get Matt Milano back, but they, they really hurt uh, the depth. They hurt last year in the depth at corner. This year they hurt really badly um, at the linebacker position. I think safety. Um, safety might be the number two position right behind wide receiver they're going to have to address. I like Taylor Rapp. Um, I think he's a player they'll probably bring back next year and he'll be in the starting role in one of those safeties. I think they're losing both Poyt and, uh, Poyer and Hyde. Um, and they're going to have to replace probably one of those guys or both of those guys with a, a day two draft pick, a second or third round pick. Um, so they've got a lot of uh, holes to fill, top of the roster holes to fill. But, um, you know, every year uh, depth in this roster is tested. So they're going to have to continue adding to the bottom of the roster as well. And those, those day three picks really help with that. Brandon Bean's done a really good job of, of hitting on a bunch of those picks. Uh, so we'll see what he can do. Nate, thanks as always for taking some time for me, man. Really appreciate it. And uh, uh, try not to get caught up in any snow, okay? Sounds good, my friend. There he goes. Nate Geary, WGR Buffalo Bills pregame halftime and postgame host. It's time for Bet Slip, brought to you by ProLine Plus. And we look ahead to the early game Sunday. We talked about the Ravens um, and, and the Chiefs going into this one. The Ravens currently sitting as a two-and-a-half-point favorite, paying minus 149. And I look at that spread, and, and, this, and this could change before the end of the week, and I, I have a feeling 
that it's going to move in favor of the Baltimore Ravens a little bit more. I see it and I say like, I don't know. The Ravens look like a juggernaut right now. Their defense is playing so well. Their defense is healthy. They're in a position where they can dictate play. And the one thing that we've seen from the Ravens over the course of this year is if you want to play an in the trenches type of game, if it's bad weather, whatever, they can beat you that way. If you want to play a game where we need to throw the ball, well, we've had success doing that as well. You want us to run the ball and play old school football with Gus Edwards and Justice Hill and now Dalvin Cook, who's apparently rejuvenated, but let's not get too ahead of ourselves here. And of course, Lamar Jackson. I What I saw from the Chiefs against the Bills was a team that was taking advantage of a defense that was really banged up. That's not going to happen against the Baltimore Ravens. We saw what Baltimore did against a, an offense that had some pretty good weapons and a quarterback that was playing at the peak of his powers, albeit he's a rookie. Not that Patrick Mahomes didn't have a good game against the Buffalo Bills because he was efficient. He made big plays, but he wasn't the world beater that we've seen in previous games. I think the spread's too low. I may be telling, I may be, you know, giving, I don't want to say I'm giving a free tip here, but that spread seems too low. Ravens at home playing the way they're playing. Boy, oh boy, I like that number if I'm a Ravens fan, and I certainly like that as a better. That was Bet Slip brought to you by ProLine Plus. That's going to do it for us here on the fan check down. Thanks to everybody that listened. Donovan will be back tomorrow. So I only have one thank you today. Well, I got a couple, actually. Let's get to those. Uh, Brendan Deeg, the score NFL editor and host of the Double Doink podcast. We went through a plethora of things. So if you missed it, check out the podcast. And you just heard from Nate Geary, WGR Bills, pregame halftime and postgame host as we did the postmortem on the Buffalo Bills. Sean McDermott's talking now. He's not going anywhere. We'll see what happens in the personnel department on the field with this team going forward. And of course, the final thank you of the day goes to technical operator Lance Kennedy, who always does a fantastic job. Thanks to everybody that listened. We'll be back tomorrow with the fan check down right here on the Sportsnet Radio Network.